Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. and I welcome you to Voice of Olympus, our Olympian podcast. Our focus today is optimal wellness, and our first guest is Christine Dowler-Evron, who is president of the Tenafly Chamber of Commerce, and much, much more in our town. Greetings and welcome, Christine. Thank you, Hercules. Thank you. Happy, happy to be here. Thank you. I'm happy you're here as well. You're always informative and uh, thought-provoking. And uh, today we're going to touch upon two very important uh, areas uh, regarding the wellness of uh, Tenafly. One is all the businesses, uh, and this will probably have to be a part one because there's so many of them, uh, that uh, focus on uh, keeping Tenafly optimally well. No, you didn't warn me, but I just happened to have on my computer um, (laughs) health, and I'm going to count up. While okay. you talk, how many businesses in Tenafly are dedicated to health? Or maybe I won't okay. count them because it's two and a half pages. So I, I will you <laughs> or get, get the information together. Um, I, I'm very blessed to be living in Tenafly. Tenafly is truly a unique uh, and a very caring uh, place uh, to live. And uh, one of the uh, aspects or uh, dimensions of that caring are the number of businesses that are focused on uh, keeping Tenafly um, healthy. In uh, previous uh, adventures, um, I did things uh, like uh, yoga in the park or tai chi in the park during the weekends and uh, wandered around Tenafly and talked to people who were jogging or walking or power walking or walking their dogs or uh, doing other type of uh, physical activity. And I found by talking to them that they were very invested uh, uh, in uh, fitness and uh, all of my different routines that they followed on the roads of our fair borough. And uh, also, I started interacting with some of the, the businesses, the martial arts businesses, the yoga businesses, and uh, uh, discovered that you couldn't 
really keep track of everybody who's doing uh, um, healthful things to Tenafly. And even if they didn't have an established business, there are a lot of people whose activity is uh, centered around uh, uh, health and healing. So uh, in this particular round of adventure, we'll be revisiting the people and the businesses uh, uh, and the circumstances from previous adventures, plus expanding it uh, to include uh, to include the doctors and the health centers and the eye centers and um, uh, the uh, educational centers and the uh, um, the, the type of uh, yogic type of uh, businesses and individuals that we have to do that in people's homes. So there's a lot of material there for me to uh, explore. So uh, before I plunge into the terrain, I, I figured you'd be the best person to tell me uh, the range of uh, my activities. Well, I can give you one very unusual example that I found very gratifying. Okay. Um, as you know, Rotary sponsors Alliance for Smiles. It's an uh, yes. organization that goes at goes to disadvantaged parts of the world and does cleft lip and tongue surgery and then um, plastic surgeons do that, and then dentists reconstruct um, the child's mouth, basically giving these people a new lease on life. Before the surgery is done, they usually have different difficulty eating. Um, they are usually completely shunned by the the culture. Um, yes. They only interact with their, their family. And then after the surgery, they can go out into the world. They have a chance to get married. Um, and we're talking about small kids. They're getting, not getting married right that moment, but nevertheless, as they grow up, they will have a chance to get married. Um, we gave a presentation at the Rotary about this and invited some dentists, and we were very pleased to discover that not only were the local dentists very interested in this, but um, Dr. Dean Vafiatis of... Um, East Madison Dental had actually mm-hmm. been one of the dentists that went on an Alliance for Smiles mission, spending oh, wow. two weeks, twelve hours a day, reconstructing um, mouths. And these missions, generally over the course of two weeks, um, treat something like ninety to a hundred patients. Can you imagine how grueling that is? Yes, I, I amazing that, is, that our doctors and our physicians are so committed to health. So they go out; they're not paid for this; completely volunteer. In fact, they often have to pay for the privilege to do this. Um, just amazing. I found the lines for smiles on the uh, um, internet while you were talking, and I'm going to post it on uh, Facebook so that uh, folks uh, can learn more uh, about it. And that is great that uh, dentists from uh, a local dentist is involved in this uh, endeavor, and our local um, Rotary Club is also involved in this uh, endeavor. That, that's certainly uh, a great gift to these individuals, and uh, uh, it changes their lives uh, um, dramatically. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely recommend if anybody wants to contribute to someone who is going on a mission in June, I believe, they can contact the Tenafly Rotary Club. Um, James Boyer is going on the mission to work as one of the workers. He has to raise, I think it's 
$7,000 to cover um, his costs and to bring equipment with him that will be left at the site where they are doing the, the dental work for the physicians there. Because they usually go there and they don't have anything to support them. They have to bring wow. all of their medical um, drugs there, um, any equipment they feel they might need, and quite often they leave it for the, the local dentist. That is awesome. There, there are some really, truly awesome people in Tenafly. Um, I remember one of the meetings uh, uh, I learned about uh, um, a business owner who had a nail salon who was uh, educating people in her home country. And uh, because it was a, a very a divisive area, people were killing each other over their beliefs, uh, that they managed to stop that so they could all get educated in the school. And I thought that was a, a marvelous uh, story that, uh, that, that needed global recognition. <laughs> Well, this is a, a typical male take on it. It wasn't a nail salon. It was actually Kahara, K-H-A-I-R, Kahara, A. And she does makeup. And makeup, she sends I'm sorry. A portion of, uh, that's quite all right. She does. She sends a portion of her proceeds um, to, she sells makeup and she does, she makes you up for special events. She sends a portion of proceeds back to her hometown where she has founded a school that started in her brother's second bedroom and is now teaching. She's in her sixth year, and I think she said they were up to 120 students. And everyone wow. was so concerned. It was a, It's an interfaith school. They were so concerned that their ke- children continue to be able to go to this school that it was the only district in Nigeria that um, – was not having interfaith um, brawls, or more than brawls. I mean, that they were massacres. Um, that district stayed calm. Now, what she is working on now, in addition to that, is a micro-loan kind of project where uh-huh. she purchases uh, airbrush machines. These are machines for the males among your audience that mm-hmm. take liquid makeup and it is sprayed onto um, a face like a canvas and you paint the eventual look you want with this airbrush machine. Uh, guys might use it to decorate their cars, for instance, but women use it for makeup or they use it also for decorating things and artwork, but whatever. Um, she has purchased these things. She tra- She wants to train the women to use these airbrush machines because there is a huge culture of beautifying yourself on the occasion of your marriage. And families pay a relative fortune for that um, in her country. These women, by getting the machine, can start a business doing the makeup for for brides, thereby... um, having a living and she has by me, she has them pay a certain percentage of their earnings for the next five years or so to pay back for the machine and allow her to buy more machines for the next crop of people that she is giving micro loans to. Wow. And my, so she's allowing them to become self sufficient and uh, independent and uh, business people. That is fantastic. Yes. 
and it's very culturally appropriate. It's women serving business, uh, women serving women there. It it fits into their culture, as you know, they already are doing this uh, extravagant preparation for weddings, and you know, she's figured out how to take advantage of it. Wow! For her for her needs. Just amazing woman. Uh, an amazing woman. I'd love to have her on the show. And also, uh, we are going to start granting awards in the very near future, starting the beginning of uh, May. Uh, I definitely think that she deserves an award for what she's doing. She deserves some recognition. So um, I will be uh, contacting you to get her uh, contact information in the very near future, because that is incredibly awesome. And that, that is uh, it's paradigm shaking in its implications. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, let's see what other wonderful things I can. <laughs> Just, there are, are tons of people in Tenafly. They're the unsung heroes that just go quietly through their business lives doing a little bit extra for the people yes. around them. Uh, Tim Hyatt spoke to the chamber, I, I don't know, two months ago a computer software engineer. He, in his spare time, collects business suits for disadvantaged youth or disadvantaged workers. You know, just people do these extra things to help out their friends, and that's part of what Tenafly is about. And you sparked some ideas inside my head, which I will talk uh, to you about um, after the podcast. (laughs) But uh, now the gears are turning, and, I, and I'm thinking we should celebrate these unsung heroes. You know, we should make it a habit to do so. And uh, um, what, I have some ideas. But anyway, onwards <laughs> to the next uh, unsung hero. And then we will talk about the Northern Valley Greenway Project. Yeah, this is very exciting. It's moving along. Um, the Northern Valley Greenway Project is a plan to change an unused stretch of railroad that goes from Tenafly to the New York State border, about eight miles, to change it from, to take up the railroad and convert it into a bicycle path, a pedestrian path, and a jogging path. And this will connect to something like 2,100 miles in New York State. Wow. And eventually, New Jersey will be building paths all through New Jersey also. So we expect to connect down through Overpeck Park and through the rest of the state. So that's our plan. We've spent the last seven months working with the NJDOT and a consultant they hired, NV5, mm-hmm. who, who basically legally defined the project. We said, oh, we're going to turn this into a linear park. What more do you need to know? Give us money. And that's not really the way the world works. Uh-huh. <laughs> what they did is they went out and they carefully measured the entire property that we're looking at that's not being used. They categorized it. They determined the areas that are wetlands. They determined the areas um, that are raised or lower, you know, the different elevations where there are bridges and what condition the bridges are in. And they basically define the property. 
they said, okay, these are historic areas. You have to do have special considerations here. There is an endangered turtle at one end of the track that apparently uh-huh. whenever there's a construction project, the turtle has to be moved to its alternate location. I guess the tur- turtle okay. has a summer and a winter home or a vacation home <laughs> in the North, North Vale. Um, and they basically, so they, they measured it and they categorized the area. They, and they came up with three proposals for the tracks. One, what we would like, a very deluxe, very wide bicycle paths, separate jogging, separate pedestrian, so all the speeds of, of different people could be separated easily without anybody feeling crowded. And that they called option A. And whenever you ask for money for a grant, you have to come up with three options. And we said, what do you mean? We have this best option. We want a Cadillac bicycle path. They said, that's very nice that you want that. But we also have to present that you have thought about other options. So they said, well, what happens if you try to do something that's a little bit leaner? And so they envisioned what a narrower path that might be a little less, less expensive to build might look like. Um, they also came up with what would happen if you kept the railroad there in case in the future it was to be used and just build a track along the side. And mm-hmm. they defined that for us so we'd have three choices. Yeah, that was an immense amount of work. They put together something like 200 pages describing this. It's not enough that they come up with a definition for these kinds of grant proposals. They then put on a tremendous um, presentation to the public. Uh-huh. And we had 384 people come to see these different views. And it wasn't just the three possibilities of deluxe, miserly, and with a, a rail, it was, well, part of these properties are very narrow, so how are you going to handle that? And they showed how if there was a wetland on the miserly view, also known as option B, that you might build a part of the path that's elevated above the wetland. Okay. Um, they show, or actually, I think that was the Cadillac, how you get the full width, you would raise the uh, the view. So they came up with, within the path, it was a very, very narrow place, how you might envision squishing it down and get your full functionality. Mm-hmm. Um, they came up with options for road crossings, where just there, they just presented it to the public and got their input on what kind of because we say we like the Cadillac version. Right. Um, and actually, most people agreed with us, as, as you might expect. But nevertheless, they asked the public, what do you want? Just to make sure that it wasn't a few crazed volunteers that were trying to get something vastly different than the community wanted. So this enormous process to make sure that we're defining reasonable options and selecting the the one most desired by the community. And we've just finished the public input period, and they're now finalizing the report for that. 
Wow, it's all very exciting, and and I'm very excited because I remember when this was an idea uh, floating around in your mind, and uh, you occasionally talk about it. So to watch it manifest is a a very phenomenal uh, thing, and uh, I'm honored to have played a small part in it and to have participated in some of these uh, um, events that you're describing because uh, this is marvelous, and I can visualize it in my mind. I'm already standing. Uh, the five years or so in the future, and I, and I could see it, and and it is, it's, it's wondrous. Well, we're 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 moving along. Once we have the report back, which we should in a couple weeks, um, we'll get some idea of the direction where exactly we go next. Do we apply for grants? What do we do? Um, and that NJDOT will help us with that. It's really, government can be impressive. Yes. I, I agree with that. And uh, um, basically, uh, I, I take that as one of the purposes of these podcasts to uh, show people that many things, you know, not that there aren't things to be concerned about, uh, but there are also things uh, to be acknowledged as good and celebrated. And uh, what you're describing seems like uh, uh, one of those things where the government is being phenomenal about helping this healthy thing happen in our community and unfold correctly over time. So one of the things that I don't know that we spend enough time, we say, oh, it's healthy to go walking or bicycling, getting exercise. Mm-hmm. But a huge driver of this greenway is safety. Um, Tenafly, unfortunately, has had two deaths in the last several years where people were on the roads and um, hit by cars when they were bicycling and they were hit by cars. There are numerous reports of pedestrians around us that are walking on the busy roads and are getting hit. Um, fortunately not dying, but nevertheless, we're hoping that we can, although cars should always be mindful, they are dangerous things, um, mm-hmm. we're hoping that just by providing separation and giving a good place to bicycle and walk, that this will cut down on some of this, you know, this incredible danger that people are dealing with every day. Yeah, that that is something to be concerned about. Um, I like to walk, and I walk as often as I uh, can. And uh, I know I have to be much more careful of cars uh, now um, in uh, my 60s than I did when I was a teenager and I lived here, where I I was kind of immersed inside my head and wasn't paying attention at all. And uh, uh, I don't remember anything untoward happening with uh, automobiles. Uh, But now it seems like I need to be very alert. Uh, with the automobiles. Uh, it might have been, um, I don't know, but I don't know why. I think but you're older true. and wiser. Um, Maybe. light physically is, there, a lot of the roads are on the east-west, are lined up east-west. So there are mm-hmm. certain days in November when as you're going up the back of the Palisades, because we are on a very steep hill, because we're on yes. the back of the Palisades, you go up, you go over a hill, and all of a sudden, the sun blinds you. So if anybody is walking in the street with traffic, which is the wrong way to walk, the driver physically can't see them. And even driving at 25 miles an hour, 
if you've just been sun glare blinded and you weren't sun glare blinded the day before taking that exact same route, you were in great danger of hitting somebody. Um, And I'm sure that was the same thing that was going on when you were young. I don't think the sun and the the stars have uh, realigned. Not significantly, no. (laughs) Age of Aquarius, notwithstanding. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's always been dangerous. We've been fortunate that there haven't been more accidents. Um, Now, the images that I have are based on images that I've seen at uh, these uh, events uh, to a very large part. And I see it uh, transforming our entire town uh, in time, um, making it a much more healthy and and much uh, more, um, uh, looking for the right term, uh, enriched place to live. I'm like vibrant. I think vibrant, vibrant that, that works, and a much more vibrant uh, place to, to live and a more green place to live. I mean, I currently walk on the railroad tracks because no trains pass there, so I could, you know, basically uh, go on automatic pilot and meditate while I'm walking. But it would be a much more pleasant walk if I didn't need to be as mindful of uh, um, broken rails and uh, holes and garbage and rocks and, and things like that. So I'm greatly looking forward to it. Well, I like the idea. I mean, at the moment, of course, being a completely law-abiding citizen, I would never walk on the tracks because they're private property. Okay. (laughs) But no, being able to get onto a bicycle and drive up to eight miles or bicycle on relatively flat terrain, um, I would love to do that for my errands. I'm getting more and more worried about the amount that I use the car. Being able to go a quarter of a mile down the road and then know I have a very safe ride either into town or even to over to the next town or two. Um, I can't wait. And I'm not even very athletic. But you're very active. <laughs> you're phenomenally active. <laughs> you're one of the most active people I yeah, know. I'm very active in a couch potato kind of way. <laughs> but no, you're physically active. You're all over the place, and your mind is phenomenally active too. <laughs> so, yeah, like, a, like I, I said, sure. a couch potato kind of way. <laughs> if, if you say so, yeah. I, I beg to differ. And our time together <laughs> has finished already. It's uh, it's amazing. Oh, it will okay. scratch the perfect. surface. So we'll need to do part twos and part threes and and so forth. Um, Now, uh, thank you so very much, uh, Christine. Uh, I put your Facebook page, a link to the um, Tenafly Chamber of Commerce on Facebook and the website, and also to this new initiative that you described uh, today with the smiles. Is there anything else you'd like me to share? We can look forward to the 125th anniversary of Tenafly. Um, I will post up. something on that then. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Thank you, Christine. Have a wonderful evening, and I'll talk to you soon. You too. Take care, Hercules. You too. Um, we're going to take a very brief uh, break, and then we'll be back with Ryan Foley and Furion Fitness. And let me see if I can find a nice uh, song that's not too long. Um Here we go, Moonwalker.
Thank you for having me on again. Thank you for coming back on again. Um, I received from you an email where you have been evolving your system. Would you like to speak about that tonight, or do we tackle another body part? Oh, no, that would be fantastic. I, I'd like to talk about purine endurance. Okay, fantastic. Okay, uh, so uh, just to, to break down for, uh, for your listeners uh, who maybe had, had might have missed a, a few episodes, uh, I've been uh, bodybuilding training for uh, in in June. 
it will be five years. And I think one of the things that uh, most people, one of the, the common misconceptions when it comes to bodybuilding, uh, I think a lot of people don't quite understand the whole science behind it and, and how it is a, a very legitimate science. And the, and the way that you go through and you develop your training is going to end up with, uh, with varying results. So uh, just uh, for real simple reference, if you lift really heavy uh, for, for a small amount of reps, you, you tend to get really big. Uh, if you're looking for, uh, for hypertrophy, which is kind of a, a, a good general balance between big and strong, uh, your rep range is somewhere between uh, around 8 to 12 reps. And so whenever I was going through and, and doing my, my research, uh, I just naturally assumed, okay, so the higher reps that you do uh, for, uh, by using a, utilizing a lower weight, uh, you're going to go through and, and you're going to burn some fat. And so uh, one of the uh, things that, and is that the struggle that we're all trying to, that we're all right. trying to, to fight is, is burning, burning fat. It's the, that, that stubborn thing that we all want to try to get rid of. Well, I'm just, I'm fascinated by the amount of raw uh, material that we have available to us uh, in, in this information era. Uh, because of this, you're able to go through and you're able to study a variety of different people's programs. And then I, I kind of like to treat it uh, a, a, almost like a Chinese buffet, uh, so pardon the expression, uh, you know, when we're talking about burning fat. Uh, but uh-huh. so that way you can go through and you can take what you like, you can discard what you don't, uh, and then you can go through and you can implement it into your program. So after, uh, so if we're focusing on, uh, say, like a, a Malcolm Gladwell's uh, theory that you have to do something for 10,000 hours uh, in order to master it, uh, that would be basically working out for, uh, you know, uh, 20 hours a week, uh, you know, for, for roughly about 10 years. So, uh, so I'm still very much in a, in a learning process. There's still a lot of times where you have to go through and, and do a tremendous amount of research. And, and unfortunately, uh, I, had go, I had grown fairly stubborn, and I didn't want to go through and have to reset that dial. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. that was because there was a lot of times where I was afraid of failure. Uh, and, but again, that's the ego talking. And so it, the, the ego wants you to stay in the pocket. The ego doesn't want you to risk failure. So uh, a lot of times the ego tells you that everything that you're doing is fine and just keep doing what you're doing. Don't branch out and don't try to do anything tremendously new. Um, so, but as I was going through and I was getting inspired by watching how other people were working out and, and, and uh, kind of studying their techniques, I just assumed that, okay, so if you're going to lift heavy uh, and your rep range is going to be somewhere around three to five, and if uh, big and strong, which is hypertrophy, is somewhere between 8 and 12, well, then really uh, by keeping those same metrics, so if you want to burn fat, then you should go for a rep range of roughly around uh, somewhere between 15 and 20. And so mm-hmm. just based on simple math, I thought that my you know theories were pretty good. And there had been times where I kind of pushed a little bit of my rep range, uh, but then I was uh, watching uh, – ideas from other uh, from other weightlifters and they were recommending a 50 rep range which I thought was just absolutely uh, off the chart yeah it's so much and if you think about it okay so if you just if your average lift is uh, 2.4 seconds in in a lowering and a raising and you're doing a, a reps of 10 
well, then, uh, you know, give or take, we'll adjust a little bit here. But so you're lifting for a total of 30 seconds, and then you're racking the weight. Well, and now if you're going to go to 50, suddenly now you're lifting for over two minutes. And it's that amount mm-hmm. of time that your muscles are under tension. Uh, and, and so by doing that, I mean, you can see the dramatic difference there. You go from lifting for 30 seconds all the way up to two minutes, and that's just one set. Uh, but in doing this, so what I found is that it wasn't so much about the weight. It was that my muscles were just not prepared to be under that under tension for that amount of time for, for such a, a dramatic uh, shift. So, what again, what I had to do is I, I don't want to say that I had to go back all the way to the starting line, but I could mm-hmm. certainly see the starting line from where I you know, had to drop all the way back to. Uh, but by doing that, then what I had to do is I had to, to physically educate my muscles to say, hey, this is what I want you to do. I know you're not prepared for this, but let's just go through. So I started with a fairly minimal amount of weight just to see if I could get to that 50 rep count. And so mm-hmm. then once my body started to become adjusted to that incredibly long period of where you're working out, and then once my muscles started to understand what I was expecting of them, then I started to see an increase in, in my gains. That's where I started to see, okay, so we'll start and we'll just put on the 10-pound plates, and now we'll start to elevate up and we'll be able to throw on you know, a couple more fives. And as the weeks continued to progress, I, I found myself beginning to increase in strength, being able to keep that tension uh, much longer. But the, the difference is, though, if you, if you go through and you incorporate this strategy, it almost becomes it's it's more of a mental game I think than it is physically and and I think that's one of the things that people uh, it's it's not explained properly in so many of the the different programs that the amount of, of mental change you're going to go through the amount of and it's and the emotional change uh, it's not just the physical but so what I found is that uh, in between once I started to get up into the rep range of around forty. I felt that was really where you started to make your money. That's, that's really where uh, the growth was going to come in. But you have to have the mental strength to say, I'm, right. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to go through and I'm going to get to this point, even though it hurts. Uh, but so, and so by doing that, uh, what I found is that – so I go through and, and, I, and I do feel like it is more of uh, – it's shifting to what they – from what they call – if I have these terms correct, and I think that I do – uh, from more of an ectomorphic body type to more uh-huh. of a of a mesomorphic, and and ectomorphic is is a fancy way of uh, basically saying overweight. Uh, to to shifting to more of a, of a mesomorphic, which is more of your traditional bodybuilder uh, physique style, uh, and and for me that's that's my ultimate goal. It's uh, and it's been a long time in attempting to get there, and, I, and I'm not there yet, but I feel like I'm moving in in the right direction. So. I had to go through, check my ego at the door, and say, all right, we're going to start brand new, and this is going to be – so these first couple weeks, I know they're going to be garbage weeks, but that's okay. you know. So it, it's okay to, to take a few steps back so that way you can do a, a running leap forward. So uh, I would say it probably took me for the, the better part of about four weeks of, of training uh, five days a week uh, in mm-hmm. order to get my body to understand really what I wanted it to do. And then experts will go through and they'll tell you that, you know, every, oh, roughly about every eight weeks, eight to 12 weeks, 
you should really go through and change your workup style just to, to shock your muscles because uh, what we're talking about is the law of diminishing returns where if you go through and, uh, and if you never change your style, your muscles become accustomed to what you're attempting to do, and so that amount of growth uh, is going to become residually smaller and smaller. So, um, so I went through and I designed what I, what I was calling Fury and Endurance, which is where mm-hmm. your rep range was uh, around 50 uh, for, for each set. And, and so my goal was to attempt to gain 1,000 reps through a variety of, of, different, wow. of different exercises. Yeah, so it's, uh, it, it was an intense day. Uh, but if you go through and you figure, okay, well, if I'm doing uh, three sets for my chest and, uh, and it doing uh, 50 reps per set, I'm already doing 150. So if I partner right. that with, uh, with, with a, like a seated cable row, something that's going to provide me with a, a counterbalance to that bench press, uh, suddenly I've got 300 reps under my belt. And so now it's just finding more pairings. Uh, so say like a, an overhead press combined with a lat pull down. So that way you've got that nice antagonistic set going on. Uh, and so there's an, so there now it's got you up to 600. And if you can do something with your biceps and your triceps, that's pushing you up to, uh, to, to 900. Uh, and then you find a, a fun uh, workout that you can do that's, uh, you know, two sets of 50, and that gets you to, to an even thousand. So I was going through and, and I was uh, developing this program, and, and I felt mm-hmm. like it really had uh, – w- w- uh, one of the other benefits I, I can say is that um, I feel that by lifting lighter, you're more amped to you're more uh, more apt to focus on form, and you're right. also less likely to sustain injury. And for for people that are just starting out, you know, if you go through and, and you tear something or if you hurt yourself, how long is that going to put you on the shelf? So to me, lifting lighter is certainly better because we're weight lifting as opposed to weight slinging. You know, it's 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 really going through and focus on on that form. So I went through it and I incorporated this, this new workout style. And then I got through to eight weeks and I said, okay, now I'm going to change it again. Uh, just so that way, you know, I can, I can shock my muscles here once more. And so what I found is that when I shifted to a, to a new workout style, I utilized the same mental focus that I had when I was developing fury and endurance. And that's where, okay, Again, we're not going all the way back to the start, but you can certainly see the starting line from where we're going. And so now we're going to develop this new program. We're going to test the theories, and we're going to use that for a few times uh, just to go through it and really refine the process and make sure that we've got the right pairings and that we can educate our muscles to do what we need them to do. And so I knew for, for those garbage weeks that I was going to experience uh, you know, hey, that's okay. We're, we're teaching my muscles. You know, th- this is what I want to do. And so I'm currently in the third week of this new workout regimen, but I, I think that my theories on this are solid. I, I'd, I'd have to speak with, uh, you know, professional trainers and, and uh, possibly other bodybuilders, uh, you know, to, to uh, kind of validate my theories here. But I do think that it is uh, – it, it's a unique way to look at it as, as it we're not – we're not starting all the way over, but we're learning something different. And I have mm-hmm. a theory that when I that after this eight week period is done, and so let's say I'm going to shift back into more of a hypertrophy rep range, which is going to be you know between eight and twelve. Uh, okay. Your body will remember quicker. 
you know, it's, it won't, you won't have nearly as many garbage weeks because your body's going to go through and go, oh, yeah, I, I remember these rep ranges. Okay, yeah, now we can go through and we can lift a little heavier. And then when that eight-week period is over, now let's go back to that 50 rep range where we're lifting lighter, but we're lifting longer, and I think the body will respond quicker because now – so that, that learning period, that learning curve is going to be a lot steeper. You know, so it's, uh, we'll go from, all right, we went from four weeks of, of garbage training. Well, maybe we can get, get that cut down to two uh, the, the second time that we run through this rotation. And right. so by going through and doing that, you know, I think it's, it's made me uh, somewhat more of a, of a smarter lifter, and I'm always looking for, you know, ways to improve. And so that's one of the things that this has been uh, tremendously beneficial for me, and it's, it's given me this, this unique insight. And I think one of, the, one of the bigger problems that you can have, and I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm tearing anyone's program down. I'm, I'm, I'm not, because if you go down – to like, uh, say, bodybuilding.com. There's going to be a variety of of people out there who are going to present you with a variety of of different training techniques. And I'm sure those techniques are all solid. I mean, they're they're good workouts. But what you have to remember is that they're designed by professionals for professionals. So I think if someone were to come through and say, okay, here's this workout and you need to do this, uh, you have to be prepared for some of those garbage weeks where you can go through and go, hey, I've got to teach my muscles how to do this. Otherwise, I think it's like me throwing you out of a car when I'm going uh-huh. 50 miles an hour down the road and saying, okay, now run and keep up. Whereas instead, if we start at a dead stop and say, okay, we're going to jog a little bit here before we get up to running speed. So one of the things that cemented this idea in my mind um, I recently watched Aquaman on, on uh, Blu-ray. I missed it in the theater, so I got to watch uh-huh. it on Blu-ray. And so, of course, that features Jason Momoa, and yes. that guy knows what he's talking about. I mean, if you take a look at him, you can go, yep, that guy understands what it means to lift. And so one of the things that Momoa does in his training seminars or in, in his training sessions, uh, he does uh, seven sets of seven lifts with seven seconds of rest in between, which mm. is tremendous. It's, it's tremendously intense, but, but mentally I had to remind myself he's doing 49 reps. You know, I mean, there's a little bit of rest there in between, but he's essentially doing one set of 50 just with some little bit of breaks in between. But right. then he goes from se- he goes from seven, 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 seven. Then he drops down and does six sets of six reps with six rest with six seconds of rest in between. He'll pause for about 30 seconds and then drops down to do five sets of five reps with five seconds of rest in between. But the catch of this is, is that he does it with 66% of his one rep max, which is just, it's an insane, that's an insane amount of weight. That's brutal. Yeah. For, for, for 49 reps, are you kidding me? You're doing 66% of your one rep max for 49? So I was like, there's no way that I can do that yet. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know? uh, yes. Right. So, so that's when I said, okay, let's go back. Let's apply these same principles, 
But now let's stretch it all the way down and let's teach my muscles. I want you to do seven sets of seven with seven reps in between. And so that's what I'm in, in the middle of doing right now. Uh, with so I, And I'm in week three of that training. So I think by doing that, can I get to 66% eventually? Yeah, but again, that's like throwing me out of the car when we're going 50 miles an hour. So instead, what I have to do is slowly build to that. So if your listeners are out there and you're, you're researching your, your techniques of, of what you want to do, if you're trying to find a program that you like uh, and you see someone that's, that's advising you to do this, by all means, if you see something that you like, run with it. You know, adapt it to your own program. But just be mindful that you really have to start all the way back at the beginning and train your body to do what you want it to do. And then once it learns that, then you'll start seeing the, the leaps and bounds. You know, so you're going to start off at a crawl. You will. And, I mean, it's, it happens to everyone. But then you go through, and then, then you start getting up, and it's, it's less of a – so the crawl starts ending, and it, it's less of a walk and kind of more of a jog. And then eventually you'll get to a point where you find yourself start sprinting, you know. And so it's – but you have to do those – you have to do those garbage weeks uh, in the beginning to, to teach your body what you need to do. And, and so hopefully uh, if, you're, if your listeners are, are, are tuning in here and they want to know the best way to go, this is something that I wish someone would have come and told me and said, hey, okay, whenever you start this program, you know, do this, but be prepared uh, to have your ego checked and, and say, oh, my goodness, I can't lift, it. You know, I can't lift another ounce. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm living proof to tell you that you can get there, but just sometimes you have to go a little slower than you want to in order to in order to achieve the success that you want. And you're an inspiration to me because uh, I had to take a break from uh, lifting for a while because um, I wasn't uh, getting the results that I was expecting. And uh, for some reason, the tried and true workouts I've been doing for a while that I would continuously play with. Uh, they weren't doing for it, uh, doing it for me anymore. So I've been uh, on a quest to find something new to try. Uh, and uh, what you're describing sounds like uh, uh, a lot of fun. So uh, it, it, uh, not, maybe fun is not the right word, but it, it sounds very promising because no, no. you've thought it out very thoroughly. Uh, you're continuously testing and refining. You're continuously making it better and it's producing results. So uh, what more can you want in a system? Right. And, well, and, and no, I think fun is the right word. You know, it's, uh, okay. it's kind of one of those things where, yeah, it's uh, whenever I find uh, a new routine or, or a new exercise idea, uh, yeah, I do. I get excited. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I kind of want to try that. Uh, and it's a lot of times it's these simple things that maybe, you know, we hadn't considered before. Uh, like, for instance, there's a, there's a lap pull down. Uh, and most people, I, I know it's, it's a little hard if, if you're not uh, a regular in a gym for me to explain uh, to just say a lap pull down. But it's basically where you're seated and your, your thighs are kind of cinched in so that way you're not raising up off the seat and you're pulling uh, the, the weight down with your, with your arms extended. Uh, and so that way you're targeting the, the, the latimus dorsi of, of your back. And, um, uh-huh. and someone was suggesting, okay, and it's pretty much kind of a straight up and down motion, uh, but then you can go through and you can change your grip. You know, you can do uh, where uh, pronated 
which is where you're looking at the back of your hands. You can go supinated, which is where you're looking at your at your palm. Uh, you can do a neutral grip wherever you're going through, it and and you've got to work more like you're looking at the, at the tops of your hands. But uh, there was a, a again, I found it on the internet. There was a, a guy suggesting that you do more of like a where instead of going straight up and down, you're pulling the bar at more of like a 45 degree angle. And you're standing okay. up, and it's it's hitting those muscles from a slightly different uh, from a slightly different angle. So that way, it's 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 targeting those muscle fibers a little differently. And so I found that I I found that idea and went, oh okay, yeah, I kind of want to run with that. I kind of want to try it. But again, I had to start with an incredibly low amount of weight in order to teach my muscles, hey, this is what I want you to do. And then once my muscles figured it out and said, oh, okay, yeah, we know what he's wanting us to do here. And that's where I started to see the, the leaps and bounds. So, yeah, I think that's uh, fun, I think, is absolutely the right word because you go through and you say, oh, okay, you, you see something and you really want to incorporate that. And, yeah, you get excited. You get jazzed. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to incorporate this, you know, into my system just so that way uh, it's, there's, there's a high. That, that it's, it's the best way I know how to describe it, but yeah, you just I I feel better. I I'm, I feel like I'm more confident from an emotional standpoint. I'm, I feel like by me going through and doing these studies and and you know uh, documenting my results and things of that nature, uh, you know it's 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 uh, triggering all those synapses in my brain where it's like, almost like I'm back in school which I think is a good thing. It means I'm learning things. And then I'm also improving my health and, and improving my fitness. So it's, uh, it's, it's just a good general all-around thing that I think I, could, I can describe to someone, but they just don't get it until they can actually get in the gym and experience it for themselves. And, and I wish that there was more of a focus on that emotional, that emotional improvement that you get in your life from doing something like this. Well, you are its spokesman now. <laughs> so, um, what do you call it? If once a month is not enough to speak about it, we'll have to create a bigger show or, you know, uh, sure. uh, do another sure. show on, on another day because uh, uh, I'm very excited by what you're doing. Uh, and it, it's a work in progress, this journey that you're on, and you're very generous in sharing it. Um, how can folks find out more about uh, the Fury and Endurance and Fury and Fitness and uh, uh, all of your, your journey and your experimentation? Your exposure here is really the, the absolute best way. Uh, the way that you promote my Facebook page, uh, that, that's probably the, the best way. Uh, and the way that you've been uh, uh, posting links to my blog, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's probably the best way to do it, uh, it right now. Uh, but I do have to tell you that, uh, you know, sometimes those seeds get planted and, and you get an idea. And as those ideas begin to germinate, you know, one of the best uh, books I ever read, uh, I don't know if it will be studied 100 years from now uh, as a literary masterpiece, but it was called Dirty Jokes and Beer by Drew Carey, <laughs> uh, the host of The Price is Right. And I uh, what, I loved about the, what I love about the book was that you could hear his voice in the way that he went through and told his stories. And mm. so uh, here a, a couple weeks ago, or a, a couple months ago, I should say, uh, you know, you went through and you threw out an idea there about how I really need to write all this down and put it in a, in a book form. And that idea, you planted the seed, 
And now that idea is beginning to germinate. And the more that I continue to write about all this, the more I think you're absolutely right. I think I do need to put this in a book. And so while I'm currently working on my fantasy novel, uh, I I am working on slowly putting that together. uh, So that way uh, I can go through as I'm still continuing to learn, uh, you know, and so that way I can put this out for people so I can teach them. I mean, this is not going to be a book to teach someone how to do a bench press. There's a hundred people out there that can teach it a heck of a lot better than I can, but I kind of want to focus on the emotional journey that, that we could go through. And I, I kind of like to make a deal with you here where, man, if I write that book, uh, if you'll do a forward for me, an introduction, I think oh, that'd be I a fantastic would be honored, Ryan. I'd be greatly honored. I'm honored by your words and uh, I'm honored that uh, something I said uh, inspired you to uh, create uh, something that needs to be created. So yes, I, I would love to write a forward. Perfect. Yeah. We'll work yeah, on that down the road. Now, um, you know that I give everybody who's on the show permission to use their uh, clip. So if, it, if at one point your blog evolves uh, to a place uh, where that would benefit you, please feel free to edit the uh, all our conversations that are relevant to put them on your website. All I ask is that people say originally on or, you know, whatever, just uh, to let them know about the show. So you, oh, yeah, uh, sure. oh, yeah, you sure. have contributed so much uh, uh, to these uh, podcasts that I'd love to see that on your uh, uh, on your site so that people can listen to you explain these things uh, uh, kind of like a supplement to the book. Yeah, that, that's, yeah a, that's, that's a that's a fantastic idea. idea. I'll definitely have to work on that. Well, thank you so much. Again, the time passes uh, very quickly. Um, it's taking me a little bit longer to start the new station than I thought, uh, but very soon by mid year, we'll have another station. So uh, I would, I would love to give you more than an hour if you'd like it. Uh, and this way we can uh, get more in depth. Also, I'm um, experimenting with multimedia again, which I done years ago. So uh, I'm going to be starting something on uh, YouTube and uh, um, with groups and things like that. So I'm still playing with uh, what the best, uh, a way to do that is, but uh, I would love to invite you to that as well. I'm happy to contribute in any way that I can. Thank you so very much, Ryan. Have an awesome day. Thank you. You too, sir. Thank you. And we're going to take a brief break and listen to Bone Post Orchestra's Evolve, and then we'll be back with the return of Ron Carson's Coliseum.
Welcome back to Voice of Olympus. 
I am Hercules Invictus, uh, and I'm wearing many hats today, and I'm honored to announce the return of Ron Carson's Coliseum. Greetings and welcome, Ron. How are you? Galispera Hercules. How are you, my friend? My brother. I'm doing great. Um, I had some awesome guests, and now I have another awesome guest, so my day is imbued with awesomeness. Uh, how is everything in uh, Massachusetts and Connecticut and your uh, part of the country? All right. Well, first of all, I am no longer a resident of Connecticut. I have moved to Massachusetts. Congratulations. And I, I'm only about uh, five minutes away from my radio station, which I'm very, very ecstatic about. And uh-huh. um, also, uh, I still make the commute on the weekend to do my jukebox gold show in Putnam. So that's like oh, the only awesome. time I uh, I visit Connecticut, but now I don't reside there anymore. But it's been a very, very trying couple of uh, days, and now I'm just happy to be a part of your show again so we can uh, reopen yes. the doors to the Coliseum. So the Coliseum doors are open, and uh, we will start with the classic Sword and Sandal film of the month. Uh, Have you chosen one to share with us? I have. With Easter around the corner, we're going to focus on the 1961 peplum film, King of Kings, starring Jeffrey Hunter as Jesus Christ, which was probably one of the most fantastic uh, adaptations of uh, the Lord and Savior's life on the silver screen. Okay, tell us about the film then. Well, it is a uh, presentation that was directed by Nicholas Ray, and as I mentioned, the late, great Jeffrey Hunter, who left us way too soon in his life. He uh, passed away like about eight years after the completion of this movie. He was only in his 40s, but I still think next to Max von Sydow, he played the role of our Lord and Savior with such passion and zest and drama, and it's like a film very well worth revisiting from time to time, especially now with the holiday around the corner where we celebrate Christ's life. It would be a very, very good viewing for you to uh, revisit once again. I haven't seen the movie in in a very long time, but I remember that it was a very well-done movie. uh, And uh, I know in conversations when people have brought it up, they're they're very impressed uh, uh, by it. Well, first of all, I just want to let you know that – the legendary Orson Welles was the narrator of this picture. Yes. Of course, well known for his uh, performance as Citizen Kane and in many, many other uh, fantastic uh, epic films that he's co-starred, written, and directed. But he very much had an uncredited role in that uh, movie as the narrator. But, of course, you can't miss the voice of Orson Welles. I mean, that's uh-huh. a given without a doubt in more ways than one. And the film was actually a remake of a Cecil B. DeMille movie that first uh, hit the screen way back when in 1927. But the difference is the original picks up where Christ was an adult. But in this movie, you get the story of Jesus' entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the start of the movie, of course, uh, focuses on the Battle of Pompeii. Okay. And then later on, uh, it also um, pretty much uh, zeroes in on the uh, very, very terrible, you know, uh, atrocities of Herod the Great, 
Okay. Killed all those children, if you remember. Yeah. And it was happening around the time when Mary and Joseph were arriving in Bethlehem before the uh, Christ child was born. And okay. there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, what you call um, focus on Herod in this particular movie. They uh, do a scene about the massacre of the innocents, and then later on, eventually, they uh, focus on Jesus Christ finally surviving this uh, ordeal. And then they fast forward to him when he was only 12 years old, working with his father, and soldiers were arriving under the command of Lucius. Okay. And eventually what happened was that another main principal character that King of Kings focuses on is Barabbas. Yes. And that, you don't that's really much... That's always struck me as an interesting thing because Barabbas, uh, the literally uh, in Hebrew means son of the father. Correct. So it, it, correct, and the nature of Barabbas has always been a, a mysterious thing for many people. And ironically, uh, they also focus on his best friend, who was the man who betrayed our Lord and Savior, Judas Iscariot. Okay. So there's a uh, tie-in to that film between the relationship of Barabbas and Judas Iscariot, because Nicholas Ray really delved deep into the entire life of our Lord Jesus Christ in this particular picture. And finally, okay. when we uh, see Jeffrey Hunter get into the uh, mix, as he uh, was the adult version of, of Christ, they, they pretty much uh, focus on his... Uh, relationship with the Virgin Mary, the Apostles, and basically his battles with Barabbas, too. Mm-hmm. And it's like you see a different side of, you know, the uh, events that lead up to the death of Jesus Christ in this movie also. It goes in detail. Uh, there's a very interesting scene in... Uh, when Jeffrey Hunter goes up to the mountain and has an encounter with the devil himself mm -hmm. during this movie, which you really did not know that, uh, you know, the demon was trying to seduce Christ into going his way and not through his father, the Lord's way. There's a whole scene that focuses on that particular moment. And it also... Uh, <clears throat> gives us more of an incentive of John the Baptist, too, in this movie, too. Oh, John the Baptist? Recognized in King of Kings, yes. Uh, John the Baptist okay. recognized right away when he baptized the baby Jesus that he was actually the Messiah sent by the Lord in order mm -hmm. to, you know, bring stability and to bring harmony into the world. And the uh, bottom line is that you see a lot of confrontations between Christ and various characters that he pretty much stumbles into his life, you know, before the crucifixion. And eventually what happened was um, they also focus on Barabbas' revolt in Jerusalem during the holiest time of the year, Passover, and then later on, 
later on afterwards, it's also the prelude to the Last Supper, if you remember, too. Mm -hmm. And after the Last Supper, the film focuses on Jesus Christ's trial, where we see a lot of Pontius Pilate in this particular movie, too. But uh, if you remember, in The Greatest Story Ever Told, our Greek compadre, Telly Savalas, may he rest in peace, did a fantastic version of Pontius Pilate in that uh, particular peplum movie. Yes, I remember that uh, as well. It's been many years since I've seen those uh, films, but uh, they've left a lasting impression. Um, the genre itself, as you know, has been an important part of my life and yours as well. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, my my preferences are with the uh, uh, Greek mythological material than with the historical or the biblical uh, material. Correct. But the Correct. reason why I chose... King of Kings is because of the Easter celebration which is coming up for all at the end of the month and I wanted to focus on a Peplum movie that was devoted to the life of Jesus Christ and I think this is definitely one of the best I think think so as well Mr. Hunter was just absolutely a joy to watch and was the complete spitting image of our Lord and Savior also in that particular movie. And the dynamo, the passion, the uh, very much uh, the mannerisms that, you know, when we used to read about Christ in school are best depicted by Jeffrey Hunter in this picture. And then, of course, uh, the tale of the movie leads to the crucifixion and eventually... uh, the movie ends on the shores of Lake Tiberias, and finally Jesus was resurrected and appears to his apostles for the final time. And the tail end of the uh, story is that he wants him, he wants them to spread his word, the message about our Lord. And and therefore the movie finally ends, and then his shadow just falls across the screen and he goes back to heaven. And therefore, another masterpiece was uh, very, very much uh, in our making here. The Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer picture, incidentally, had a budget of over $5 million, which wow, back in 1961 that, uh... was a lot of money. But it grossed over $13 million at the box office, therefore making an $8 million profit. Wow. For the time, that was uh, a lot of money. It's a lot of money now, a for lot of money. too. But but for uh, Hollywood studio, that was a, a lot of money. Correct. And uh, I just wanted to acknowledge some of the other actors that did a fantastic okay. job with some of these roles because uh, Robert Ryan was superb as John the Baptist. As you know, Robert Ryan was uh, the uh, father in uh, the movie God's Little Laker, the Erston Caldwell mm-hmm. film which also was ironically Tina Louise's first major motion picture a couple of years earlier. Okay. A gentleman by the name of Herd Hatfield was also good as Telly Savalas as Pontius Pilate, but I still think I'm not trying to be uh, nepotistic because Telly is one of our uh, Greek compadres, but I still think his participation and role playing of Pontius Pilate was just the best in the Max von Sydow Peplum movie, The Greatest Story Ever Told. We're, we're Greeks. Uh, we, can't help, we can't help but focus on the... We, we're conditioned yes. and trained to focus on Greek that things in the culture, that so correct. that's something we can't um, help. 
Believe it or not, the role of Judas Iscariot was portrayed by comedian Rip Torn in a dramatic role. I like Rip Torn. Uh, Harry Guardino was superb as Barabbas. If you remember, he did a lot of uh, cop shows in the late 60s and 70s when we were uh, acclimated to our good old days of television. And the voice of Satan was done by veteran actor Ray Milland. When he meets with a Jesus in the mountaintop, that was Ray Milland that was the voice of the demons. And it's just, you know, some of these cast members really added some extra life into this film. And this is the reason why I'm, I picked this one for the month of April, because of the Easter connotation, of the fact that, you know, this is part of my religion, Eastern Orthodox, and uh, the fact that uh, I remember when we were studying about the life of Jesus Christ in school, it fascinated me. But to watch the developments unfold from start to finish, this was the movie where you got the whole nine yards from the time Jesus was born up until he died on the cross. Now, fortunately, because it is uh, Easter time, a lot of these old movies are available uh, for like $5 on DVD um, mm-hmm. in several of the major uh, stores. So uh, from what you're, from what memories you're evoking through your descriptions, uh, I'm going to look mm-hmm. for them uh, next time I'm at Walmart or Kmart or uh, you know, any, uh, Best Buy or any one of those uh, big mega stores that usually has. Uh, Regrettably, DVDs Best Buy now. doesn't uh, carry DVDs anymore, Achilles. They've stopped Here selling they, DVDs and CDs. Yes, they, they're a complete electronic they store right now. Here in New Jersey, they're still carrying them. Um, oh, they still are. Okay. Because yes. I am actually looking for a copy of this picture. I'd like to have that in my Peplum collection. And it's not very easy to find. So if you stumble into a copy, an extra copy of King of Kings, it would be very appreciative. I will most certainly pick it up for you. Um, oh, and, that, that uh, would be awesome. That would, that would be awesome. So but, that's um, a Peplum film for the, the month. Uh, there's a Peplum fandom that we both belong to, uh, Peplum Paradise, which is a phenomenal oh, yes. We uh, have site. To, yes, we have to yes. send a shout-out to our dear friends, uh, Nick Whale and Stephen Smith, who done always do a superb job and it's a very very excellent page and you and i are proud to be members of this group it's a drama free group also that focuses on all the actors accomplishments in peplum cinema from start to finish and uh, i'm pretty sure that they would uh, also include king of kings into their uh mix at some point, especially with easter around the corner but maybe but if you message them, them in, or if they're within the sound of my voice, because I know they listen to your program also, they probably would agree with me that Jeffrey Hunter did a superb job as Jesus Christ in the cinema. You, you, you should post it in Pupple in Paradise and see what people uh, um, say about it. It was recently Nick Whale's uh, birthday. Uh, I got that notice. Yes, one happy of my first, uh, birthday to Nick. Uh, yes, uh, I don't know if I saw that on uh, Facebook. I, if I i got to go on his wall and give him a nice message as well and uh, thank him for all the uh, great memories that he and Stephen provide in this page. And it's just uh, very nice that I go on this group 
and I reminisce about some of the accomplishments of cinema that uh, we've been accustomed to, you and I, ever since we've been growing up, and uh, the selection and the uh, kudos and pretty much the uh, showbiz, you know, accolades of a lot of these celebrities that actually went into the peplum genre at some point in their career, and a lot of them did, and it's very, very much a uh, informative and entertaining page, and like I said, I always have pleasure in uh, tapping into it each and every day when I come on Facebook. Yes, I visit quite often. I don't, unfortunately, uh, because my my time is uh, very limited with anything but I don't interact as much as I used to but I still visit mm-hmm. and uh, it is uh, an awesome place to be and uh, as we said before it's also a drama free zone uh, a lot yes, of uh, there's too much drama groups. on Facebook to begin with yeah so it's a you drama free zone well you, you can meet with other people some of them uh, who are on the show by the way and uh, you can interact, and uh, it's all very pleasant and very uh, mm-hmm. low-key but exciting in terms of the material that's shared. And uh, you'll find there um, images and information that is difficult to find uh, elsewhere. So um, it is a paradise, in a sense, for those of us who are uh, Peplum fans. Well, without a doubt. No doubt about it. I mean, so if you're on Facebook and you really are into this genre of entertainment in cinema, by all means, get yourself uh, hooked up as a member. I'm sure Nick and Steve will accept you in high high fashion, and eventually uh, you'll be able to have that same positive aura that you and I experience every time we go to the site. So, again, kudos to our friends Nick Whale and Stephen Smith for the Peplum Paradise page on Facebook because uh, it's, it's a group that I'll always stay aboard rightful forbid and i enjoy on my news feed and when i go on the page looking at some of the accomplishments of a lot of these actors and actresses past and present who have contributed their two cents worth into this genre of sword and sandal uh films that you know unfortunately are not <clears throat> excuse me they're not uh returning so to speak, in the so-called 21st century, but at least we look back at the previous century and we can say that we were lucky that we encountered a lot of this uh, fantastic uh, cinema, and these two guys really keep it alive, and I really thank them for that. Yes, I I thank them uh, as well. And uh, um, as I said, a lot of people that are associated with uh, the show, especially the peplum aspects of the show, uh, are members as well, and they post a lot of information. So I'm appreciative of uh, the uh, updates that we have uh, there as well. Now, the show that used to be focused, uh, like on the peplum aspects uh, mostly, is now an Mm -hmm. optimal wellness show. And uh, how it changes uh, things a little bit in terms of the focus is that, uh, um, you know, each segment has its own its own special thing. Uh, the special thing with uh, Ron Carson's Coliseum is that uh, we're family, uh, that we mm-hmm. grew up together like brothers, uh, and that we share uh, similar passions, like with uh, radio. Um, mine being yes. more internet radio, but still radio, uh, and with uh, the peplum genre, 
um, and uh, with entertain, entertaining and entertainment uh, of various uh, forms. Uh, so this is an example of wellness in that uh, you can do things uh, that are friendly with your family and have a great time uh, instead of being caught up in family dramas. So uh, that's Correct. the wellness Correct. portion of, uh, of our uh, segment. And uh, we both uh, grew up uh, ident- almost identically, although we're a couple of uh, years uh, in age uh, apart. And uh, you brought up something today with uh, Telly Savalas, and uh, I commented on it. And I'd like to talk about that uh, some more. Um, perhaps sure. every culture is proud of its uh, heritage. But it seems that uh, with Greeks, we're trained to be on Greek alert. And uh, I know uh, with my aunt who recently passed, uh, for instance, mm-hmm. she knew every single entertainer uh, that was Greek or had Greek extraction or was married to a Greek. And uh, whenever we would bring her magazines or go out with her, she would say, oh, that's so-and-so. She is married to so-and-so and he's Greek. Or did you know that before he changed his name? He's Greek, you know. So uh, it wasn't just uh, Anta Frosini. It was other uh, Greeks of that generation, and even the younger generation that I've encountered. So uh, we seem to have like this Greek radar (laughs) to identify people who are from the same cultural background. And that's very uh, unusual, I believe, because uh, although I've been with people who are very focused on their culture, nobody seems to be as focused on culture as we are. Correct. Correct. Well, you know, we are very proud people, for starters. And number two, we like to acknowledge our peers when they are successful. I mean, as you know, Telly Savalas went on to become Kojak on television in yeah. the uh, 70s, and everybody uh, warmed up to his uh, mannerisms and his unique brand of uh, entertaining us in the role of Theo Kojak, the lollipop sucking the uh, catchphrase, who loves you, baby, the fact that he actually did speak our native language throughout the show in its five-year run. Yes. I mean, yes, I that has a lot to be desired. I mean, it's a testament, if you ask me. Yes. And so, also, oh, go ahead. So, you know, what I was just trying to say is that, um, a lot, even though people that weren't Greek embraced Kelly Savalas' character and embraced his mannerisms and his, uh, you know, little uh, quirks on TV and the catchphrase, and, uh, and a lot of people admired the fact that he actually used the native tongue to speak in some portions of the show as well. So, and the beautiful part about it is that you and I were able to understand every word that he said. <laughs> Yes, and uh, that, that sometimes worked against us, like in The Exorcist, where we could understand what... Uh, oh, um, yes, yes. We went to The Exorcist, <laughs> and there was Greek talking. Uh, that was one of the scenes that actually freaked you and me out. It wasn't the actual body of the movie, you know? Yeah, because she sounded like every other um, elderly uh, Greek woman in our experience at the time. So that Correct. was very scary. They They did that in such a way Correct. where... Uh, It was very scary. Um, I'm glad that you're back. I always look forward to interacting with you. Um, I'm looking forward Mm -hmm. to the next time we uh, connect, be it uh, online, by phone, by email, or in person. 
And I already am going to give you our preview of next month's uh, Peplum feature on the Ronald Harson Coliseum. We are going to focus on the Siege of Syracuse. Wow. Okay. That sounds like a great uh, thing to focus on. And uh, I'm looking forward to it uh, greatly. Uh, Ron, welcome back. Um, We missed you. I am glad to be back, uh, oh, uh, almighty one. And uh, just another footnote that I wanted to give. Uh, I was looking at a filmography of Jeffrey Hunter. His very first movie was also a peplum film. He was Uh in a uh, version of Julius Caesar as the third plebeian. So there was the history. There was the history that he started out in his first motion picture in a peplum project. That is interesting. And eventually, eleven years later, he would wind up playing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the King of Kings movie, which I so wholeheartedly recommend that your audience revisits this picture and. If you really want to know the A to Z's of Jesus Christ from start to finish, Nicholas Ray's rendition definitely is the one to watch. And if you, if you PM me the information, I'll, I'll look to see if I can find a good clip of the movie, and I'll put it up uh, to share with all. Yes, I will do that, absolutely. We'll uh, message each other, and I'll, uh, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of clips on YouTube that you can uh, look through regarding this movie. And whatever you do use, I mean, like I said, the uh, film is excellent from start to finish. It's 168 minutes long, but it's an attention grabber from the start to finish. And like I said, he left us way too early at the age of 42. And he was a promising actor, and he did more than just Peplum movies. He was a very versatile performer, and, uh, you know, he was a... a very well-respected figure in Hollywood, but I think this is where he got his moment of glory to play our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in this in this particular movie. And uh, by all means, like I said, I recommend a visit of it prior to Easter time. You know, in conjunction with the celebration, and you will get the whole biography of Christ from start to finish with this particular couple of movies. Thank you very much, Ron. Uh, I'm going to play a quick song, Dave the Bard's Merlin Am I, and then we'll be back with Tim Espy and Level 1 Games for Mythic Gaming. Be well, my friend. You do the same, my brother. Kalinikta, and we'll talk, uh, we'll talk next month, and I'll see you soon when I come down to New Jersey. Okay, Kalinikta, Yahara. Yahara, bye-bye. Bye.
Island of Britain is Merlin's 
Welcome back to Voice of Olympus. Our next guest is Tim Espy, who is the leader of Level 1 Games. And today we're going to talk about retro console gaming that's mythically based. Greetings and welcome, Tim. How are you? Good evening. I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, before we start looking at uh, uh, the different uh, games based on mythology, um, what's new and exciting at Level 1 Games? Um, kind, of the, kind of the same thing that we've been doing. Um, we got a big uh, tournament going on right now, so um, we've still got people here playing away. Oh, wow. Um, I remember last time I dropped by, uh, you guys were talking about a tournament. Yep, um, and then our big magic tournaments coming up in uh, a couple weeks, so that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. That's those are some late nights for us, but it's fun when the when the new set comes out, we uh, we we get that going pretty well. Now, this is exciting. The the these tournaments are like card tournaments. Uh, the, the one that uh, we're doing right now is uh, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate for the Nintendo Switch. So that's a video game okay. one. Um, the uh, the other one that I was talking about, the Magic the Gathering one, is uh, is a card game. Yep. So that is fantastic. So um, the level one games has evolved from a uh, um, a kind of like a pre-owned. Uh, a console uh, game store and, and unit uh, to uh, now to encompass all different aspects of uh, gaming. And not only that, to have an active uh, community uh, based around these uh, different uh, games. So that is incredibly awesome. And that's something I've loved watching uh, grow. Yeah, that, that's, that's what keeps the, uh, that's what keeps everything going is the community. That's kind of what we built our whole our whole thing around. Um, just having a good group of people that you know supports other everyone else when uh, when they need it. You know, like something's going on at home or at work or something like that. You can kind of come here and kind of forget about it for a couple hours, and and everybody's here to support everybody else. And that is a good thing to have. And this was your dream 
and you've shared with us your journey toward making that dream uh, happen. So it must be very satisfying to see that not only have you made it happen, but that it's flowering uh, in a very uh, unique way. Yeah, we we, uh, we keep growing. You know, every uh, every month is the is the plan. Just to, and we, we've been we've been getting there. You know, it's been, it's been getting good. Now I remember uh, back in the days of uh, Nintendo, um, and uh, I was already an adult when uh, Nintendo uh, came out. Um, I kind of held off uh, from getting a Nintendo until they started producing um, Greek mythological and sword and sorcery type uh, games. Then I became interested in it and uh, purchased one. I purchased one for my eldest son and uh, basically like very immersed in those uh, games. And uh, I remember the uh, two earliest uh, or the three earliest games. One was Athena. Another one was Astyanax. And uh, the third one was Battle for Olympus. Do you remember those games? I remember the second one because I can I can never say <laughs> the name of it. Um, uh huh. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that the one that. Uh, your character. And uh, there were also games that had like Greek mythological um, monsters in them. Like uh, I remember centaurs and uh, uh, the different types of uh, nature spirits and harpies and things like that, you know, popping up in games uh, fairly frequently. Uh, But very few of them uh, actually, uh, you know, gave you like that full mythical experience that later games uh, gave you. Right. Yeah. The, the one that I'm the most familiar with is the, the Gauntlet series. Yes. Gauntlet was great. Um, I, I, I love Gauntlet. And in fact, one of the, the bad things about my uh, PlayStation 2 dying was that I couldn't play <laughs> my Gauntlet games anymore. You know, the ones that I could play. So uh, um, I have to do something about that. Uh, when did you first get introduced to Gauntlet? And what was it about Gauntlet that... Uh, Seized uh, your attention. Um, the the first one that I played, um, I had um, you know a bunch of systems when I was growing up. With an Odyssey two being the first one that I had, that you know I mean I had Odyssey to play. two also. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd never had the Gauntlet. It was Gauntlet one and two, I believe, for the uh, NES. Um, but the one that I played the most was Gauntlet Legends for the Nintendo sixty four. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just I remember that game fondly because it allows you to play four player all on one. And mm-hmm. there's a, a you know decent amount of games that let you do that. But um, I like you know like action hack and slash type of games. Yeah. And and that's what Gauntlet Legends is. So having three other people, you know, to to, to play it with, and then there's you know, there's four different characters to choose from. So I, I would usually fight for the the warrior character, who's a you know like a big uh, minotaur guy. Um, uh huh. he's just like the big he's just a big strength guy with a you know. <laughs> um, so I would usually fight for him, and I would usually get him because it was my game. So I say, well, it's my game, so I get to choose him. <laughs> so that was your favorite character, um, the minotaur. Mine yeah, is yeah, him warrior, uh, or sometimes blue warrior. <laughs> Those are my two favorites. Uh, 
Yeah, the 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 other guy that I would play was the wizard, who was the magic guy that had like a a staff that would shoot, you know, the like little energy balls, if you will, you know. Now they've made a new, uh, I believe, for the PlayStation Four. I don't make, recall if you had told me or if I stumbled across that information elsewhere. Uh, they were making uh, um, a gauntlet uh, version that uh, harkened back to the original uh, uh, arcade and. Uh, um, and home console versions of like Gauntlet One, Two, and Three. Is that true? Or um, I certainly hope that it is. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, Gauntlet Slayer Edition. It seems it's or just called Gauntlet. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a ha- action uh, hack and slash game for the PS4. Oh, awesome. So that that gives me more incentive yeah, to play okay. PlayStation 4 now. Good to know. Okay. Yeah. And it got good um, reviews, too. Is a gauntlet tournament in the works, then? Oh, my God. Imagine. Oh my God. How would that even... Yeah, I guess whoever gets the most points, right? Yeah. So. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, actually, my, my, uh, my friend that I play board games with, his aunt and uncle have... Um, uh, an arcade in their basement because they're avid board game players and his aunt is uh she fixes pinball machines and stuff uh they have a stand-up gauntlet arcade machine down there oh, that's wow. usually the one that i gravitate to and i cannot tell you how difficult that game is playing it on, on the arcade you can't even get past like the first screen the whole night you know and that's the earliest version the that arcade version yeah, that, 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 I think so. I think that was Gauntlet 1 for the arcade from 80-something, right? Yes, yes. And I, I, I recall that being phenomenally hard because you get swamped. Like if you touch the wall and you had a key, you'd all of a sudden get like uh, swamped. And uh, it took a very long time and eight many quarters to be able to figure out how to deal with uh, uh, those uh, situations you were presented with. It was just such a unique uh, game when it came out. Um, and uh, uh, it was uh, uh, very immersive and evocative of, like, uh, the fantasy role-playing games that have come out uh, uh, for tabletop, you know, uh, uh, like Dungeons & Dragons, Tunnels & Trolls, etc. So uh, a lot of the early uh, uh, computer and video games sought to capture that experience and uh, make it available to, like, the solo player or small groups of uh, players without... uh, all the rule books and things like that. So they, they did an awesome job. And uh, even though now looking back on that, they, they seem very primitive. Uh, back in the day, those were state of the art and, uh, uh, yeah, they, they were incredibly awesome. Yeah, certainly. Like a lot of, I'm going to generalize here. A lot of okay. you know, newer generation, it seems to be about, you know, what the graphics look like and like how good does the game look, you know? Um, but for me, like, Pong is fun and what, it's, it's two rectangles and a, and a square ball, you know? Um, as long as the gameplay is fun and, and engaging and, and, you know, has, has some difficulty, you know, I think, I think that says more than, oh, this game looks really good. A game, when a game looks good, it's, it's great, obviously, but, you know, Gauntlet, like, like playing the arcade one, you go back and... You know, the only difference, like the only difference between the characters, a lot of them is just the color of them. Yes. Um, but 
but the gameplay is fun and it's hard. I wouldn't even begin to imagine to uh, what it would be like to play it in a quote unquote actual arcade with with where you have to pay money because the one that I play is free play, you know. Okay. Um, so you'd spend your whole week's allowance playing a game and not get past the first screen, you know. Right. The good old days. I remember those days very, very well. And I had the Odyssey 2 also, and there was a very interesting game there where telling the difference between the heroes and then between the heroes and the monsters was uh, ridiculously um, hard. I don't remember the exact uh, name at this particular moment, but uh, it was a board game and a video game at the same time. So you moved okay. around the board okay. and picked up tokens. I think it was Quest for the Rings. I'm not positive. Um, and uh, then you would program the information from the board game into the Odyssey 2, uh, and then you'd fight wow. it out on the screen. But you couldn't really tell the the heroes apart. It was really hard. And then you couldn't tell some of the monsters apart from the heroes because they, they look identical. So uh, <laughs> it was an interesting game to play, but that kind of uh, uh, threw a wet towel on everything because, uh, you know, uh, the concept was good, but the execution, although good for the time, uh, no cigar. Yeah, but, but like you were saying, you know, it's the state-of-the-art stuff back then. You know, you're pro- sitting there programming it yourself in, into the console for, to be able to play. It, it's, it's wild, you know, to think about today. And, and, and in, in a short amount of time, changes. what, 30 years, you know? Yeah. And our perception changes, too, because I remember when uh, – uh, for instance, the ColecoVision came out. The mm-hmm. games seemed almost photorealistic. Although looking at them now, where we have, you know, the games we have today, they don't. You know, but back then it was like it's amazing how they could yeah, put these graphics together. And uh, uh, I remember th- feeling the same way about uh, Genesis and uh, Super Nintendo games uh, too. Um, the 3DO was a great uh, system uh, as well. Uh, unfortunately, they were way too expensive when the PlayStation and those generation games started coming out, so people didn't buy it. And they already had like a huge library of like 300 games. Yeah, the the, the 3DO was like double the price. I think it was like it would have been like $600 now when the PlayStation would have yeah. been two or 300, um, which is unfortunate, but. It, it was because they could have they could have been the number one thing because they already had the best uh, library. Um, but I remember at the time I happened to pick up uh, a 3DO in like a flea market uh, for less wow. than a hundred dollars. Um, and then uh, because it was such a obscure and expensive system, the games were pretty cheap too because nobody was buying them. Uh, so I managed to experience a 3DO and. Uh, uh, when we had our, our store, the Barbarian Bazaar, eventually I sold it because I, I wasn't really uh, playing it. But I greatly enjoyed that system, and that, that was very advanced uh, for the time. Um, the, the Genesis, I believe, uh, was up to the uh, uh, Genesis CD, and uh, um, I don't remember. The, the Dreamcast was coming out around the time the 3DO was there, but when PlayStation uh, came out, it kind of killed it. Yeah, the, the Sony, because Sony had... I think their own drives and stuff like their own uh, readers. So they didn't have uh-huh. to pay, you know, the license for it. And so they, it was their own stuff. I think that's why they made it. Um, just cause they're like, Oh, well we can make it cheaper than everybody else. And, and that kind of snowballed from there and look at us now. 
Um, I still have a few of the games, so I can't play them anymore. They had some really great Dungeons and Dragons type games. Uh, I came across Slayer the other day when I was uh, you know, rearranging things. I don't recall seeing uh, 3DO in uh, level one games. Do you carry those or? 3DO. I had a couple, a couple games, but like you said, they're they're, they're pretty rare to, to find ones that are complete and nice. Um, so I've had a couple. I had one 3DO come through the, come through the door, um, with a few games, but they were like golf. It was like golf and something else. It wasn't mm. really anything special. Um, yeah, they're they're hard to come by. Now, do you think, like, I, I recently uh, uh, bought uh, um, a emulator that allows you to play, like, uh, old uh, Nintendo and Super Nintendo games? Right. And, uh, well, not recently, like, I'd say like a good year ago or maybe longer. Uh, but anyway, uh, those have been playing my old games that I have very well. Do you, is there going to be an emulator for, like, PlayStation-type games? They Sony themselves released um, a preloaded console within the past like six months, I believe. Um, uh-huh. Full of well, not full. I think it was like twenty-four PlayStation One games, but they really dropped the ball on it bad. Um, so I think I think it retailed for a hundred dollars, um, like when it was first came out, and then quickly, like within the month, it was down to sixty. Yeah. And nobody, nobody bought it because um, they messed up how they, they used the, a different uh, version of the games. They were European games, so they're different frame rates and stuff, so they don't look that great when they're here. Um, and the game selection was only okay. They could have chose better ones probably. Um, so hopefully they give it a, a second go and give it a little bit more time. Um and, and release something that's a little bit better. But to answer the question, yes, there, there are, there is one. Um, and so it is possible to do, and I would like to see them give it another shot. Cause I, you know, I had a PlayStation one and two growing up. Um, so it'd be nice to have something like that. That's a little bit, you know, easier to work with. I agree with you about this, Sonya, cause I was excited when I saw it. I saw it for 60, I believe in a target or Walmart or someplace. But uh, and I was very excited, and I asked the uh, uh, clerk, you know, if, if I could load my old games there. He didn't know, so we took out the box and looked at it, and uh, none of the preloaded games uh, were of interest to me. So uh, um, I passed mm-hmm. on it. But uh, that's why I asked the question because I I, I love the games I have for the PlayStation Two. I love them better than my PlayStation Three games. Um, but uh, now I can't play them, and uh, uh, I don't have the model of the PlayStation 3 that's backwards compatible. So um, I, my experience, I believe I shared this last time with finding a used PS2 unit, is uh, a lot of them have the same type of problems that uh, I have on the three units that I have. So uh, uh, until an emulator comes out, I'm probably better off just uh, you know waiting. Yeah, I've been having a lot of problems with uh, PS2 is is near our best seller, um, so uh-huh. it's hard keeping the actual consoles in stock. Um, 
and people bring them in and I'm like, I get super excited and say, Oh great. Finally, like more PlayStation twos. I plug them in and the, the laser is bad or the internal battery is bad. You can still play it when the internal battery is bad, but you know, some events don't work. And so, you know, they're, they're getting to that age now where, you know, they're starting to, to fall apart. They're a little bit more advanced than the, than an original Nintendo where I can change the pins on it in 15 minutes and have a working console, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I guess I'll have to wait, uh, but, uh, or I might stumble across one in a garage sale and it might work. Who knows? But, uh, um, I, I haven't given up on the PlayStation 2. Uh, too many uh, fond memories and good uh, experiences. Yeah, me now, too. Our journey is uh, coming to a close for today, uh, but on the next show, I'd like to focus on your tournaments. Uh, would that be agreeable to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, because th- th- that'll be fresh off of a huge tournament that's going to happen for a whole weekend, so <laughs> that'll be a good uh, wrap-up session for it. And you can announce your winners, and uh, what do you call it? We can congratulate them. And uh, also, uh, one of the things that we can do with the show, if you'd like, is uh, uh, call-ins. So if you have guests oh, that you'd wow, like to yeah. invite uh, to talk also, I can plug them into the show. Just let me know which uh, which is their number so I can include them in the, in the show. Uh, so this way we can grow this uh, segment and experiment with different things. Both you and I are experimenters. Uh, so let's uh, right. experiment and make our conversations even more awesome. Yeah, I would love to bring my friend on that I play the board games with, who's at Knuckle, has the the board game company and the arcade in the basement. Um, he's he's very much into into the same stuff that 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 you are into Norse mythology and and, mytholo- and mythological stuff in general and Dungeons and Dragons. He's writing a campaign right now, so I think you two would get on very oh, well. Awesome. I'm going to be in the area on Saturday, so we will definitely uh, drop in at some point, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing you then. Yes, me too. I'm looking forward to it. It's always uh, always a great time talking, and I look forward to it every month. I can't believe it's been a month already. Like You sent me a message, it, it and I'm like, oh, my God, it's early. <laughs> and, Tim, I included a link to your Facebook uh, page and also to Level 1 uh, Gaming. Uh, website. Is there anything else you'd like me to link to? Um, yep, that's it. Just our Facebook and level1games.com and my personal Facebook too if you ever have any questions. And But uh, we're, we're super responsive on our Facebook. We usually answer within a few minutes. I have it on my phone so I see it right away. So if there's any questions, feel free to, to send us a message or give us a call at the store and we'll be more than happy to, uh, to help anybody out that has any questions. I will post this information as well. And we have like around a minute and a half. You still there? Still here. We have 90 seconds. Is there any last oh, okay. minute gaming wisdom you'd like to offer? Um, uh, something that you would be interested in, I think, too. We uh, just started It's a little bit of a, a new product that we got. Um, we started working with a new company for uh, Dice. And they're, uh-huh. you know, like little bespoke, nice gemstone dice sets, like, uh, you know, role-playing ones with the D, uh, D20 and, and like, it's a seven-piece set that come in some really nice cat's eye colors and and uh, tiger's eye and rose quartz and stuff, really nice stuff. And the the gentleman is that, that, that runs the company is, is amazing, so... 
I have them in our nice display case. You can come take a look at them and see. Okay. When I come this weekend, I definitely will. Thank you so much, Tim. I will see you this weekend. Awesome. Looking forward to it. I will see you uh, this weekend. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care, and thanks to our listeners for joining us uh, tonight. Until next time, this is Hercules and Tim wishing you joyous journeys and pleasant adventures. For listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. <laughs>